grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today, we'll look at all three lessons, but don't worry, you won't be here all day. When I was the Dean of Students at Concordia Seminary, year after year, the seminary would seek to have a speaker of world renown. One year we had Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. And one time we had the intellectual William F. Buckley. You might remember the name. He spoke and his topic was so obscure and his vocabulary so advanced that at the end, all you could really say was, well, I heard William F. Buckley once. The same would be true if we brought in a world-renowned cardiologist and he explained some new surgical procedure using all the medical jargon. Or an astrophysicist, and she explained to us how the universe functions we'd be lost. We wouldn't understand. The same thing is true in many ways on Trinity Sunday. Human language simply will not describe our God. Oh, theologians have technical terms that they use, but they're in Latin and aren't very helpful. God describes the situation when he says in Psalm chapter 50, you thought I was one like you, but he's not. How can we describe the one that created us and our language, as one philosopher put it, if he is greater than we are, then he cannot be the product of our minds which he created. And so on Trinity Sunday we're faced with all the glory and majesty of God. He is far beyond us, all power knowing all things, present in all places, and he demands that we live according to his word and will, and we do not. And he can execute judgment and punishment at any time as he pleases. Yikes. So what do we say on Trinity Sunday? What do we say about our God when He is so far beyond us? We begin with the fact that the only thing we can say about our God is what He reveals to us and tells Him about Himself. And so today we're going to consider the three lessons that all talk about our God and see if there's a common thread in the midst of them all. What are these lessons trying to teach us? And so we begin with Isaiah seeing God on his throne, the indescribable one, 
train of his robe filling the entire temple, seraphim, fiery beings flying through the temple, shouting to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. The temple is filled with smoke and the very pillars shake the foundation of the temple. And suddenly Isaiah realizes he has seen God. And God made it very clear in the Old Testament that sinful mankind cannot see him or we would die. Isaiah thinks he's a goner. It's over. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He thinks he will die. Suddenly one of the seraphim brings one of the coals from the altar and touches the mouth of Isaiah. Does it kill him? What will God do? And suddenly we hear the verdict. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forgave Isaiah all his sin made him clean so he could see the face of God. The holy, holy, holy one did not kill, but he made alive, forgave his sins. This passage teaches us that in spite of the majesty and glory of God, the desire of God, is to forgive us. What about the second lesson? Peter is preaching on Pentecost. He condemns the people twice. This Jesus del delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And again, God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He condemns them, calls them to repentance. But then he reminds them that even the fact that they crucified the Lord of glory, it was part of the plan and foreknowledge of God for us. So that even though they killed him, God raised him up knowing the pangs of death, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. God the Father had a plan. The Son was crucified. The Father raised him from the dead and then we're told the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working for the purpose of rescuing us from death. The Holy One wants to save us. In the third lesson, we have the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, thought that what was needed was more law, a striving to keep the law. But with one sentence, Jesus destroyed his belief system. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Earning God's favor does not rely on human pride and striving to keep the law. It is God's action, giving us rebirth, as it can also be translated born from above, God's action on us, God making us new. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Father gave His Son to the world. The Father gave His Son to the cross to save us. And the Holy Spirit comes and we are reborn through the power of the Word and through our baptism. It is the work of God to save us. So on this Trinity Sunday, there is a common thread in all these readings. Amidst the majesty and the glory of God that is far beyond our understanding, He wants us to know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work to save us from sin and death so we are reborn even now. Amidst the majesty and the glory, God's desire and work to save us is the most important thing we need to know about our God. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We continue with the gathering of our tithes and offerings.